Hello once again, and welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray. I know it's been a little while since we've been together, but this is a podcast where we strive to study the Come, Follow Me uh, in accordance with the outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and where we strive to do our best to become um, more dedicated and devout disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you've all had a wonderful weekend. I hope you had a wonderful long weekend if you were someone who got to enjoy the Labor Day weekend. Um, and as usual, before we get started today, we're going to start off with a word of prayer. So let's go ahead and start with that. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this wonderful day. We thank Thee for the blessings that we have, uh, that we are able to come closer to Thee. We thank Thee for Thy mindful eye, and that Thou art always with us, Father. Help us to never forget. Help us to strive to become better people continuously. Forgive us of our sins, Father, that we might come back into Thy presence. We pray for these things humbly, Father, in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so... um, Today we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians 14. Um, hopefully, hopefully we can get to the full the full reading this week. There's only three chapters. We will see what the Lord has in store for us, and what 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 uh, my my inability to maintain a disciplined schedule can come up with. <laughs> so, um, but let's go ahead and jump into chapter 14, shall we? All right. So. Uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For ye that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in t- with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. All right, so the uh, New Testament manual has a little bit to say about the gift of prophecy. It says, although some people might assume that the gift of prophecy is reserved only for church leaders, many scriptures teach that the gift is available to all faithful followers of Christ, including both men and women. President Dallin H. Oaks of the First Presidency explained the difference between the gift of prophecy and the prophetic office. He says, quote, the, the nouns prophecy and prophet and their variations, such as the adjective prophetic and the verb prophesy, are used in several different senses. When, when we hear the word prophet in our day, we are accustomed to thinking of the prophet. These words signify him who holds the prophetic office and is sustained as the prophet, seer, and revelator. The priesthood offices and powers exercised by the president of the church are unique. The spiritual gift of prophecy is quite different. As we read in the book of Revelation, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That can be found in Revelation 9.10. The prophet Joseph Smith relied on this scripture in the teaching that every other man who has the testimony of Jesus is a prophet. Similarly, the apostle Paul states that he states that he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. 
Thus, in the sense used in speaking of spiritual gifts, a prophet is one who testifies of Jesus Christ, teaches God's word, and exhorts God's people. It is in its spiritual sense, to prophesy means much more than to predict the future. In our day, Elder Joseph Fielding Smith, oops, Elder Joseph Fielding Smith declared that all members of the church should seek for the gift of prophecy, for their own guidance, which is the spirit by which the word of the Lord is understood, and, it, and his purpose made known. It is important for us to understand the distinction between a prophet who has the spiritual gift of prophecy and the prophet who has the prophetic office. That can be found um, in the the, uh, September September 1986 ensign uh, uh, article titled Spiritual Gifts. So that's something we need to keep in mind is that when when Paul's talking about prophecy and that we should all be prophets, he's not saying we should all lead the church, but he is speaking as is as being talked about here. We should all seek for the for the gift of prophecy that we might be able to understand the the words and confines of God and what he is seeking for us and from us as his disciples. That should be something that we are constantly seeking for. And in in, in contrast, he's talking about the gift of tongues and how the gift of tongues, while it may seem to be one of the greatest gifts, and it's one that a lot of people often strive for and wish for, and I think a lot of times missionaries might wish they had, it's not the gift that our Heavenly Father desires, or I guess it's it's not the gift that Paul feels that every member of the church should have. Because as Paul says, the gift of tongues is fantastic, but it's not, unless there's someone there who can, I guess we'll get into this in a second. Uh, let's, let's, let's continue on for just a bit further. And in verse seven, and even things without life giving sound, either pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter the tongue word, utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be made known what is spoken? For shall, for ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without sig- signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with a spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unclean say amen at thy given at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak. I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and their other lips 
will I speak unto this people, and yet for all they that will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not for them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believeth not, but for them which believe. All right, so let's let's talk about the gift of tongues a little bit. So Paul Paul's making a good point here. Uh, obviously, I would hope he's making a good point in the scriptures, but he's talking about the gift of tongues and how the gift of tongues isn't necessarily a gift that is simply given out just to because oh well, I I, I wish for it. I, I need I need it. I, whatever it may be, he's talking. He, he, as missionaries, we may be given the gift of tongues, but in such a way that we are able to then speak so that those who are listening may understand us. As Paul says, if I'm speaking, I could be speaking the most eloquent speech ever heard or the most, or the, or the greatest oration on any, on, on, on any gospel topic that, that may have ever been written. But if no one can understand me, even myself, what is the purpose? What is the point? There is no point to that. And God is not one to waste effort and, and, and power in meaningless tasks. He won't, we're not, we are, we're told not to seek after a sign that we may, that we may waste it upon our lusts. That is not something that God, uh, that is, that is a righteous desire. He, he talks about instruments and how even instruments in the world, they have certain sets of, of rules that they must follow. If you think about music, there's, if, if you are, if you're someone who, um, who deals with music at all, you know that there's music theory and theory is kind of the rules or the understanding of how music works and why certain sounds, uh, or notes combined together create harmonies or dissonance or different, different, um, combinations that create the sounds and the, the, the desired music that we might be looking for. But I don't, if you've ever had a child walk up and, and kind of pound on the piano, it's usually very discordant and not something that you can really enjoy or anything that's, that, that could be considered true music in any sense. And Paul's talking about the same thing with spiritual gifts that especially with tongues. The gift of tongues is just that discordant noise, just mindless babbling. What is the point? What is the point of such an event? So let's jump over to the New Testament uh, manual. It has a bit to say about the, the gift of tongues. The apostles and others spoke with other tongues on the day of Pentecost. On this occasion, the gift of tongues was manifest through God's servants teaching, but teaching the gospel in languages and were known to the listeners, but unknown to the speakers. Other manifestations of the gift of tongues occurs when a person is moved by the Spirit to speak a language that is unknown to either the speaker or the hearers. This second manifestation of the gift of tongues seems to have been highly sought after by some members of the church in Corinth, as, a, as supposed evidence of a person's spirituality. Paul corrected this misunderstanding as he explained that this form of the gift of tongues provided unbelievers with evidence of God's power, but did not teach or edify the saints. In the early years of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, some individuals were influenced by false spirits and engaged in unusual behaviors during worship, including attempting to speak in unknown tongues and claiming it was done by divine power. For a time, some members were deceived into believing that this was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. The prophet Joseph Smith received inspired direction 
to help correct this misunderstanding. You can find that in Doctrine and Covenants 50 and Doctrine and Covenants 52. Um, Elder Robert D. Hales reviewed some important cautions regarding the purpose of and use of the gift of tongues. He said, quote, We are told by prophets in this dispensation that revelation for the church of that revelation for the direction of the church, excuse me, will not be given through the gift of tongues. The reason for this is that it is very easy for Lucifer to falsely duplicate the gift of tongues and confuse the members of the church. Satan has the power to trick us as it pertains to some of the gifts of the Spirit. One in which he has is the most deceptive is the gift of tongues. Joseph Smith and Brigham Young explained the need to be cautious when considering the gift of tongues. You may speak in tongues for your own comfort, but I lay this down for a rule, that if anything is taught by the gift of tongues, it is not to be received for doctrine. Speak not in the gift of tongues without understanding it, for without interpretation the devil can speak in tongues. The gift of tongues is not is not empowered to dictate the church. The, all gifts and endowments given of the Lord to members of his church are not given to control the church, but they are under the control and guidance of the priesthood and are judged of, judged of by it. The gift of tongues is used by missionaries to teach the gospel to all nations of the world. Uh, and that comes from uh, Elder, Elder Hales' talk titled Gifts of the Spirit. Uh, well, I guess it's an it's a, it's a article Gifts of the Spirit, written in the, in the February 2002 ensign. Um, and so it kind of continues with, with the fact that everything should be done to, to the edification. It says that Paul said, let all things be done unto edifying. Paul repeatedly used forms of the word edify in 1 Corinthians 14. To describe the purpose of spiritual gifts, the word edifying is a translation of the Greek oikidomen, which literally means the process of building a house. Paul said that the members of the church were God's building, okiodeme, that's in 1 Corinthians 3. Therefore, one reason we should seek for spiritual gifts is to build up or to strengthen the church of God. So we see once again that the, the purpose for spiritual gifts is not simply because we're, we're, we're collecting things to put on a shelf or we wish to have more spiritual power than any of those around us, or we may feel that, oh, well, we deserve this or we're testing God in some way. We feel like we want to see if God really does have the power to do those things. That is not the purpose of um, spiritual gifts. And so Paul is telling us the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church, is to build up the kingdom of God. And that goes back to the law of consecration, that with, with the law of consecration, we should seek that all of our efforts are for the benefit and building up the kingdom of God. It, it always comes back to, is our eye single to the glory of God, or do we seek our own glory or the glory of another being? Is that what we're seeking? If, it's, if our eye is not single to the glory of God, why are we then, I think we could, in some sense, say that there is a form of idol worship being undertaken. Because if we're seeking the glory of some other being, even ourselves, that is still worshiping an idol of some sort. That's a harsh law to, to, to a harsh line to draw, but in its varying degrees of sin and righteousness, any any variance from a any variance from having God as our 
utmost and single, you know, as, as the pinnacle of our priorities, that will lead to some form of idol worship. And that, I think, is why oftentimes we hear that, oh, you know, God's, God's ways are higher than man's ways. Or we hear that, oh, you know, all have sinned and fall short, fall short of the glory of God. And we think, well, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. When we might be, we might be on a greater, on a higher path than perhaps the rest of our culture, the rest of our surroundings, the rest of our, you know, our neighbors per se. But it's not about, are you better than your neighbors? It's, are you better than the natural man that you're wrestling with every day? There's a reason why there are varying degrees of glory. Because for that level of glory that we are willing to seek after, that is the glory that we're going to obtain. If we get comfortable where we are, then we should not be surprised if God expects us to be comfortable in the kingdom we have ended up in. But let's continue on in verse 23. If therefore the whole church become be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How then is it, brethren? When ye are come together, every one of you that hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. And if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For we, for ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of all the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches. Okay, before before we get to that that kind of worms, um, that that is something to keep in mind. That is something to keep in mind. God is not a god of, uh, he's not he's not a doormat. He's not one to just let things pass by and let nothing nothing, you know. But he's not a pacifist. I guess I should say he's not one to simply say, oh, I don't want any confrontation. I don't want any issues. I don't want anything like this. And so we're just going to let everything pass by. But at the same time, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so anything that is started that becomes confusing or overly complex or things of, the, of those natures, we may need to realize that we need to pull back to the gospel foundations, the gospel pillars, those things that we, the doctrine that we know to be true. Refind our footing with God and then seek the gift of prophecy to be able to direct us further. The confusion of tongues and things like this, the, the confusion of these different spiritual gifts may not be what we need in this world. But the gift of prophecy certainly is. 
the gift to be able to suss out the truth of the world around us, to be able to pull the hearts of men and to, to see the goodness in them and to draw it out, to pull it forward, that we might encourage our brothers and sisters to repent of their sins and to come back to Christ. Is this not truly what we should be seeking as members of the church, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? I testify that it is. All right, so we're going to jump now to that, like I said, that can of worms. Um, It's going to start right off in verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under, under obedience, as also with the law. All right, so this one is one of the areas, one of the areas why um, oftentimes people have an issue with Paul. They feel like Paul is a woman hater and he doesn't like women at all. But if we take a look at the footnotes, we will see that there is a that there is a Joseph Smith translation that helps to clarify one thing, which would make me think that probably um, some scribe who was translating the <laughs> the New Testament from the original Greek or uh, Roman, whatever text it may have been, into uh, English or German or whatever it may have been, may have had uh, an issue, may have had a, a little more of a uh, misogynistic tendency. Because if we, if we put in the, the Joseph Smith translation, this is what it reads. Let your women keep silent in the churches, but it, for it is not permitted unto them to rule, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Okay, so that changes things. If we see that the scripture, that Paul is not intending that no women don't get to say a single thing, they should keep their mouths shut and they shouldn't be a, they shouldn't be a member of the church. They're, they're in the church, sure, but they sit there and, and warm the seats and they they listen to their husbands. That's not what is being said. What is being said is that it is not for the women of the church to rule in the church. Verse 35, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to, once again, speak, but once again, Joseph Smith translation, is a shame for women to rule in the church. Okay, and if you thought that the church wouldn't put in something about this in the New Testament manual, um, you'd be surprised. So there is something here. It says that it is difficult to know the intent of Paul's counsel in 1 Corinthians 14. 34 to 35, without knowing the actual question or circumstances that prompted it. From Paul's teachings, either earlier in the same epistle, it is clear that he did not forbid women from speaking in church meetings. Paul also reminded both men and women to be silent during meetings when others were speaking. Perhaps we can best understand this passage when we see that the Joseph Smith translation for 1 Corinthians replaces the word speak with rule in both verses. This word, this word change suggests the possibility that Paul was trying to correct the situation in which some Corinthian women were either being disorderly during worship services or seeking to take the lead from priesthood leaders. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, women are called upon to teach, testify, exhort, and serve, but they should not usurp the authority given to the priesthood leaders. The same can also be said for the male church members who are not called to preside. President 
M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught the following regarding men's and women's roles in the church. It says, quote, Let me repeat something I stated in the April 2013 General Conference. In our Heavenly Father's great priesthood-endowed plan, men have the unique responsibility to administer the priesthood, but they are not the priesthood. Men and women have different but equally valued roles. Just as a woman cannot conceive a child without a man, so a man cannot fully exercise the power of the priesthood to establish an eternal family without a woman. In the eternal perspective, both the proactive, procreative power and the priesthood power are shared by husband and wife. Why are men ordained to the priesthood offices and not women? President Gordon B. Hinckley ex explained that it is that it is not the Lord that it was the Lord, not man, who designated that men in his church should hold the priesthood, and that it was also the Lord who endowed women with capabilities to round out this great and marvelous organization, which is the church and kingdom of God. When all this when all is said and done, the Lord has not revealed why he has organized his church as he has. When thinking about those things, we do not fully understand. I am reminded of the words by my deceased friend and apostle, Elder Neil A. Maxwell, who said, What we already know about God teaches us to trust him for what we do not, for what we do not fully, for what we do not know fully. Sorry. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland stated in this last April conference, In this church, what we, what we know will always trump what we do not know. Brothers and sisters, this matter, like many others, comes down to our faith. Do we believe that this is the Lord's church? Do we believe that he has organized it according to his purposes and wisdom? Do we believe that his wisdom far exceeds ours? Do we believe that he has organized his church in a manner that would be the greatest possible blessing to all his children, both his sons and his daughters? Women are integral to the governance and work of the church through service as leaders in Relief Society, young women, and primary. Through their service as teachers, full-time missionaries, and temple ordinance workers, and in the home where the most important teaching in the church occurs. That comes from um, his Brigham Young University Campus Educational Week devotional um, in August 2013, a talk titled, Let Us Think Straight. So, before we get all upset that, oh, Paul says, well, women shouldn't talk, or before we think we can bash this over the head of women and say, well, it says in the scriptures that women shouldn't speak in the church, so obviously you shouldn't be saying anything, or you don't know anything, or whatever, we should check our doctrinal understanding as a whole. That is a good, that is a good um, rule to follow. If we find anything that we find doctrinally interesting, in the scriptures, in one place. Check it against the doctrine as a whole. Check it against the scriptures as a whole. Is it an outlier? Does it seem to, to stick out in some way that doesn't make sense with the way things were handled in other areas of the scriptures? If so, there might be something we're not understanding fully. Let's continue on. Verse 36. What? Came the word of God out, of, out from you? Or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. 
Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Order is something that God greatly appreciates, and something that, that without the organization of the world, without the organization of the family, without the organization of the great plan of salvation, we could not enjoy the blessings that come to us from the gospel. We must maintain our faith. We must focus on the things that truly matter in this life. We must keep our eye single to the glory of God and let all things be done in order. For God truly is a God of order and a God of miracles. Brothers and sisters, I testify that this is true. I pray that you're able to feel that as we studied this chapter together. I pray that you will continue to study it out on your own. And like I said, if there are any any pieces of the scripture that perhaps don't seem to make sense or they, they seem like they, they point in a different direction, hold them up to the rest of the scriptures. The scriptures are unified with themselves. We use the Book of Mormon. We use the Doctrine and Covenants. We use the Pearl of Great Price. And we use the Bible as waypoints that all together in combination and in concert point us back to eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ and His Father, our Father, the God of us all. I testify that as we strive to do these things, we will receive the greater blessings that come in the eternities. And we will receive the peace and joy that we so desperately seek in this life for ourselves and for our families and friends. I testify that these things are true. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.